theyeshiva.net. Shema b'ni musaravicha v'al titoish teiras imecha. Listen, my son, to the rebuke of your father, and don't abandon the Torah of your mother. Agutavach, you know, friends, there's a beautiful, beautiful interpretation of the Chidushe Harim. Rabbi Meir of Gur, the first Ger Rebbe, Rabbi Yitzchak Meir Altes, Chusayogana And he says, why does King Solomon Shloyma Amalek say, listen to the rebuke of your father and don't abandon the Torah of your mother? He says, there's two relationships to Judaism. You know, there's the rebuke your father gives you, but then there's something else. A child in the womb of its mother learns the whole Torah. Don't abandon, don't detach yourself from that Torah that you already learned in the womb of your mother. Nobody has to teach that to you. And I would say that there's really two components to Judaism. You know, there is what we teach our children, and then there is what they know already from the womb of their mother. And I would say real teaching is teaching people that which they already know. You know, sometimes you hear something and you're like, ah, that resonates. That makes so much sense. It, mamish, it, it touches my kishkes. It speaks to me in my deepest place. You know what real education is? You know what real teaching is, friends? It's not telling people anything they don't know. It's just bringing to the fore that which they heard as fetuses in the womb of their mother. But it may have been reduced to the subsellers of their consciousness, and you're just reminding them. That's what resonates. So, friends, tonight we're going to talk about how can we improve our yeshiva system? Now, you know, every Jew has perspectives. Three Jews, 19 opinions, especially when it comes to criticism. So, I think we have to begin the radio show by saying, that so many yeshivas are doing so many wonderful things. So many principals and Rosh yeshivas and teachers and mentors and rebbis and mashpiyim and mashgichim are doing incredible work. And it's not easy to lead a school. It's not easy to be at the head of a yeshiva. You know, we're all parents. We have our perspectives. We have our criticisms. So the first thing is we have to acknowledge. It's easy to criticize and to say everything that's wrong. But it's important also to acknowledge everything that's right, and that is that Jewish education in recent years in many ways has been a tremendous success story. Tremendous curriculums and extraordinary programs and great schools and sometimes extraordinary staff. But as the old expression is, as good is good is besser is besser. If good is good, it's better, not better. So improving the yeshiva system, you can email live with your remarks and questions, RabbiYYRadio at gmail.com, and we will be addressing your emails. The telephone lines are openly, right? The telephone lines are open. You can call in live, 845-354-2444. 
That's 845-354-2444. And later in the show, we will have a special guest, renowned educator, who will also be taking your questions and taking some of my questions about our yeshiva system. I want to begin with a wonderful story that I heard mamish firsthand. There's a boy, uh, today he's not a boy, he's a married uh, man with a father of a family, a lovely person, a friend of mine, and he learned for many years in the yeshiva in Gateshead. That's in England, in Britain. And he told me a beautiful story that he heard from one of his friends in the yeshiva of Gateshead. This person struggled with learning. But yet, he worked hard and he worked through yeshiva and he was very successful. And he told his friend who shared with me the story, what held him in yeshiva. And he actually said this publicly at a graduation or at some gathering that they had in the yeshiva. And he said, once, you know, boys in yeshiva, they get bored. And he gets into a fight with one of his friends and they're chasing each other. And he, whatever, he does this, he does that. And they're chasing each other around the building and gates it. And this fellow locks himself in into the yeshiva library, the big library in Gateset. You could lock yourself inside. He locks himself in so his other friend won't catch him and, you know, beat the living daylights out of him. And a few minutes later, there's a knock on the door. And he, of course, is assuming that this is his friend, you know, who's coming to uh, give him up, uh, you know, give him a spanking, as they say. So he doesn't open the door. Who is it, he asks. And the man says, it's uh, Rabbi Gurevitz, who is Rabbi Gurevitz, I think is his first name, the Rosh Hashiva, the celebrated Rosh Hashiva of Gateset. He says, stop copying Rabbi Gurevitz and stop mimicking him and stop copying his voice. I know who you are. And he refuses to open the door. And a few seconds later, he knocks again. Who is it? He says, it's Rabbi Gurevitz. Please open the door. I need to go into the library. And this plants a seed of doubt. Maybe it is the Rosh Hashiva. But no, it can't be. Of course, it's his friend faking it. He wants to let him in. And then he's going to give him a beating. He doesn't open. And a few seconds later, again, there's a knock. And there's a knock. And there's a knock. And he keeps on refusing. But then he's just hearing this voice. And it really sounds like the Rosh Hashiva. It really sounds like Rabbi Gurevitz. So what does he do? He decides he has to open the door. You know, how, how, how much chutzpah can he have to lock out the Rosh Hashiva, the dean of the yeshiva from his own school? And he says he opens the door of the library and it's Rabbi Gurevitz and he runs out, he dashes out and he looks as Rabbi Gurevitz is walking in and he's about to dash out. Rabbi Gurevitz puts his arm on his eyes and blocks both of his eyes as he walks in so he should not see who has been locking him out of the library. And he walks in without seeing this boy, and this boy just runs away. It left such an impression on him to the point that he tells his friend, who's telling me the story, he wanted to leave yeshiva, but as a result of that, he stayed in yeshiva. Because the dignity that this Rosh Yeshiva gave his students. You got into a fight with a friend, you locked out your Rosh Yeshiva of the library, it's not the most noble, proud thing to do. But he wouldn't want to look at him. Why? Not to embarrass the boy that he should feel that the Rosh Hashiva knows who it is. The story is simple, but it touched me. Because what I often find is something that's so relatively easy to fix, and it's so vital and so important. And that is, I've seen this myself, I've heard this from many students. Many of our teachers, many of our principals, They may be great people, but we often don't give our students the dignity they deserve as people. A boy tells me he went into a yeshiva the first day. A few hours into the yeshiva the first day, the mashgiach, the one who's supervising the room, comes over to him and says, your yarmulke, I guess it was a blue yarmulke, some colored yarmulke, doesn't conform to the policies of the yeshiva. Go to the dormitory and change your yarmulke. The boy sees me that night. I say, how is yeshiva? How are you enjoying it? He says, why couldn't the person tell me hi before he threw me out to go change my yarmulke? I happen to agree with the student. 
Why don't you go over to him and say, How are you? Shalom Aleichem, Bruchem Aboyim. I'm so happy to have you here in my yeshiva. We're going to have a great year together. I'm looking forward to your growth, to your success. I know we're going to have a great year. If there's anything you need, please come to me. And then talk to them about the Yamalka. So often we're treating these students as though they're in a factory. You come in on one side of the factory, you go out on the other side of the factory. Who is the Vanamkite? Why can't you display a little warmth to these students? What is it going to kill you? You're not going to have to lower your priorities. You're not going to have to diminish your standards. You're not going to have to compromise your values. All you're going to do is build trust. I was once, I taught in a yeshiva for many years in the base Medrash and Zal. And, uh, and I once had a meeting with the, chever, with, you know, with the staff. And we were speaking about the fact, I said something, you know. I said, let's take a regular employer who has an office. And he walks in in the morning and his staff are adults with families, successful people, Jews, Gentiles. And anybody will tell you the first rule is you go over to every employee, good morning, how was your day, how was your night, how was your family, how was everything, simply to create an environment of trust and warmth. This isn't a regular business that's there to make money. These kids are young, vulnerable, impressionable. Some of them have been wounded. Some of them have issues with their identity. Some of them are uncertain about their destiny. And they're here to be molded. They're here 24 hours a day. Build bridges of trust. Create camaraderie. Create a sense of empowerment. Ask them in the morning. Say, good morning. How are you? Is there anything you need Create warmth. I think this is a big mistake. When Bate Midrashim have the sense of coldness, I once asked a mashgiach, why don't you ever smile? Why is everybody a criminal? And he says, I don't want them to feel too comfortable in this place. Oh, I felt so bad for him. I felt so bad for him. So, friends, we're talking about the yeshiva system. You could call in 845-354-2444, 845-354-2444, or you can email your questions to rabbiyyradio at gmail.com. I'm going to go to the emails because I see questions are coming in. Before I take the first question, I'm going to tell you another beautiful story. This story happens with the sixth Lubavitcher Rebbe, Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak Schneir, known as the Rebbe Rayatz. And once he had a big yeshiva in Poland in the city of Otvotsk. And Otvotsk is a beautiful suburb not far from Warsaw. It was a big yeshiva, very successful yeshiva. And once he tells his secretary, whose name was Rebbe Chacha Fagin, Yecheskel Fagin, he was murdered with his family in the Holocaust. He was a great Jew. He was a giant of a Jew. And he tells him, call in the best bachram. Call in the best students to my office, and I'm going to deliver for them particularly a special Maimer Hasidus, a special Hasidic Chabad discourse. And Reb Chacha Fagin didn't want any boys should miss this fabulous opportunity of hearing a Maimer directly from the Rebbe. So what does he do? He makes sure to, t- you know, every Zal, every base Medrash has a Yenta. You know, the one who, who spreads the news right away. And he, uh, and he makes sure to tell him the story. And right away, rumor has it, the Rebbe's door is open. The Rebbe's door is open. So he tells the best boys. But this person already spreads it around. And all of the boys pack into the Rebbe's office. And he picks up his head. He lifts up his head. He takes a look who's there. And he realizes that they're all there, but he says his mimer, he says his discourse, he finishes, and the boys leave. And then he turns to his secretary, Rebchatcha, and he says, we made a deal, you should call in the best boys. And Rebchatcha turns to the Rebbe, and he says two words from the morning davening, from the morning prayers, he says, Kula mahuvim, they are all beloved. And the Rebbe says, Emes, aber kulam berurim, are they all pure? He says, Rebbe, ich weiß nicht, aber kulam geboidem. I don't know if they're all pure, but I can tell you that they're all fighting. The Rebbe says, Emes, that's true, aber kulam gedoishim, are they all holy? He says, Rebbe, ich weiß nicht, I don't know, aber kulam oisim be'emo be'iru ritzayin koinam. They're all trying in one way or another to do the will of their creator. And the Rebbe smiled and thanked them and acknowledged what he said. 
This is a pedagogue. Are they all pure, impeccable? No. But they're all beloved. Are they all holy? No. But they're all fighting a fight. Are they all flawless? No. But they're all trying to serve their God in one way or another. And I think this is a great fundamental lesson. How we look at a student, how we look at our boys, how we look at our girls, how we run our yeshiva. Okay, let's go to the emails. Could I check the emails by you? Because over here I'm having an issue. So let's go to the emails. And let me see the one. Dear Rabbi, I have a lot to write about. Okay, no kidding. Let me ask you about what you think about the curriculums in the yeshivas. Are they doing well? Can they be enhanced? Are the boys coming out the way they should come out? Okay, this is a very, very good question. There's a lot to say about this. How do you get to the emails here, Lidra? Show me how you get to the emails so I can pick up other emails. I'm going to address your question right now. You can, in the meantime, email your remarks. That is rabbiyyradio at gmail.com or call in 845-354-2444. That's 845-354-2444. Okay, as far as the curriculum, I'm going to tell you something that I think, I think, the way I see it is a very real issue. I've seen this in many, I've seen this in, in, I've seen this in many, uh, in many yeshivas, and that is very often we are not honest about what's going on. And I'll explain to you what I mean when I say that we're not honest you know, you have to realize where a boy is holding and you have to serve him according to his potentials, to his capabilities. What do I mean? I remember a boy once comes over to me and he turns to the Marsha. For those who don't know, the Marsha is the great classic commentator on the Gemara, on the Talmud. He doesn't understand the question of the Marsha. I say, what's your problem? He tells me his problem. And I realized... The issue wasn't the question of the Marsha. I say the question of the Marsha is a response to the answer of Toysvus. So let's discuss the answer of Toysvus. What's the answer of Toysvus? He was clueless. I said the answer of Toysvus is an answer to a question. Let's discuss the question. He didn't understand the question. The question of Toysvus is on Rashi. Can you tell me what Rashi says? He didn't understand what Rashi said. Rashi is giving an explanation to the Gemara. What does the Gemara say? He was confused. The Gemara is on the Mishnah. Could you tell me the law on the Mishnah? And he didn't know the law on the Mishnah. Then I realized we sometimes deceive ourselves terribly. Our students deceive themselves. You put a student into a shear. He's hearing a Shagasarye with a Reb Chaim, with a Birchus Shmuel. He's learning a Reb Eger. He's learning a Ktsos. He's learning a Nesivis. He's learning a Maram Shiv. Beautiful stuff, beautiful pulpulum, a contradiction between this Rambam and this Rambam and how Reb Chaim responds and what the Kesef Mishnah says, what the Magad Mishnah says, what the Lecha Mishnah says, what the Merkevis Mishnah says, what the Achroinim say. All great, all beautiful, but you know what? This kid didn't understand the Mishnah. So really, he is growing up thinking he's involved in learning, but he can't really appreciate learning because you can't appreciate learning if you don't really grasp it. And in order to grasp it, you have to go and build it slowly. There's the foundation, there's floor one, there's floor two, there's floor three. So you're getting into Pulpulim. He's 15 years old. He has to be sophisticated, so he's already doing Chidushim. He can't read Mishnayis. He doesn't know the basic meaning of the mission. Not all of them, but many of them. And then they're building... The 10th floor, the 20th floor, the 30th floor, they're building a skyscraper. There's no foundation here. And often they come out after a few years and they didn't accomplish anything and they get frustrated. And sometimes when they get married, they'll never open a Gemara again because it was not a rewarding experience. And it's our responsibility, every educator, every teacher. Talk to the Chanoich Lenar Al Pidarke, and I'm speaking now in learning. I'm not speaking about anything else. Make sure the curriculum suits him. And let me tell you something. I remember in my class there was a yeshiva. I gave a shir Gemara Liyun. And I saw, you know what, he's not going to be successful with it. 
Some people could sit on a Toysvis for a day or a week and then on their Rajbin, on their Ramban, and on the Toysvis read and the Tzlach. They could learn the Acharonim, Svasemis, and get involved in it. And some, it's just, it's not for them, it's not going to work. But this kid was brilliant and halacha. He was brilliant in Allah. We were learning Masechta Shabbos. I told him, you need to finish the whole Masechta and learn through Shulchan Aruch and Tur and Shulchan Aruch Hilchis Shabbos. Halacha And he learned through the whole Shabbos with Rashi, some Toysvesen. At the end of the year, he had an exceptional year. There was another boy I felt he needs to study works of Jewish philosophy. I made him a chavrusa for the Kuzari of Rabbi Yehuda Halevi. And another kid I saw do excellent in Tanakh. Though you learn every week Parsha Sashavu with Kleyoka, with Erechayim, with Sephorna, with Ramban, with Chiskuni. And then go to Nevi'im and Ksuv. Many excelled. The Torah is so rich. It's so diverse. Not every brain is attracted to the same style of material. And we have a responsibility to give them the Torah in a way that will enrich them, will enhance them, and they will feel accomplished. And the first thing is to make sure they understand. To make sure they understand according to their level. Let them learn Kitzur Shulchanar a whole year. Let them learn Mishnayis a whole year, but let them feel the accomplished. Let them learn Oseidah Mishnayis. That's a great achievement. You know, some people learn the Daf Yoimi. It's not for them the Daf Yoimi. I'm sorry. Dafyomi is exceptional. Some people, they don't gain. They would gain much more if they would learn a Mishnah a day. If they would learn a Perik Mishnayis a day. Because they're not there yet. And the worst thing is to deceive yourself. You don't have to. What do they say? We're all, we all, we're all born as originals. Most of us die as copies. You know, we're busy copying everybody. And, and, and that's not education. You could call in 845-354-2444 or email rabbiyyradio at gmail.com. We're discussing improving our uh, yeshiva yeshiva system. I was reading a book, Torah Yevakshu Mipiyu, about the life of Rav Shimon Shkop, Zeichet Tzadik Levrochet. It's one of the great Lithuanian Rosh Yeshivas, Rosh Yeshiva of Grodna. The author of Shara Yoshi was a disciple of Reb Chaim Soloveitchik, Reb Chaim Brisker. So they write a story there that this boy came from a little shtetl far away and he came to Grodna in order to study with Reb Shimon Shkop and he was very nervous. The name of Reb Shimon Shkop preceded him and he was a 14-year-old boy, and he had to be tested, and he finally went to the house of Reb Shimon Shkof, and he was mom, Reb Shimon Shkof, and he was mom, trembling, and he was on a train for a few days, he left his mom, he left his dad, and he comes into the house, and Reb Shimon Shkof sits him down, and this poor boy is, you know, a Shrek, so he's trembling, and Reb Shimon says, I'm going to ask you, Tzvei Shailas, I'm going to ask you two questions, and you know, he prepared for these two questions, for months, the Rosh Hashiva's going to ask him two questions, Reb Shimon Shkop says, my first question is, when is the last time you had a hot meal? <laughs> he said, a week ago when he was home. So Reb Shimon Shkop says, so the first thing is we're going to answer the question and we're going to give you a hot meal right now. And he feeds the boy. What's question number two? When was the last time you slept in a bed? He said, a week ago. So he says, we're going to answer that question and give you a bed. And he puts him to sleep and he gives him a warm blanket and he gives him a lovely night. And then tomorrow he did the test in order to take him into yeshiva. How important it is. How important it is. Greet your students. The first two questions should be, when was the last time you had a hot meal? And when was the last time you slept in a good bed? And if we don't, whatever that means today, today they all have hot meals and comfortable beds, at least most of them, Baruch Hashem. But it means connect to the person and show him or her that you care for them. You care for them. Okay, an email, Rabbi, what do you think about expelling a boy from yeshiva? Okay, the million-dollar question, expelling a boy from yeshiva. Listen, this is a complicated question, but one thing is certain. You can't just expel a boy from yeshiva because he's not working out in your yeshiva. Imagine he's your child. You don't just throw him out of yeshiva. Put yourself into his mind, his heart, his father's mind, his mother's mind, and find an alternative. Think about his future. Don't only think about your reputation and making sure that your environment is the impeccable environment that works. I told you probably the Maisa with the Chazoynish. It's an incredible story. I confirmed this story recently. I was in Los Angeles. I was at a chuppah. 
And uh, and there was a yid there, the Shloyma Kanevsky Schlitt. He's the son of Reb Chaim Kanevsky Schlitt, the grandson of the Stipler. And he told me he heard the story. He told me he heard the story um, um, from Reb, uh, Reb Don Segel, Zolzangezunt. Reb Shloyma Kanevsky told me there was a yeshiva tiferesi in the Bnei Brak. The Chazonish, I believe, founded it. In the 1930s, there was a boy who violated the Shabbos. He smoked on Shabbos. Sunday, the Rosh Hashiva calls him in and throws him out of the Yeshiva. The Chazonish calls him to Rosh Hashiva, and he says, I heard that you threw out this boy. He says, of course, he violated the Shabbos. He smoked on Shabbos. Chazonish says, I got it. I got it. But you do know there's a Mishnah in Sanhedrin, and the Mishnah says that Dinei Nefash is Bechav Gimel. Capital punishment? You need a court of 23 members. Let's convene 23 rabbinic judges in Bnei Brak and decide if he deserves capital punishment. If this is true capital punishment with physical death, certainly expelling a boy from yeshiva, he's not going from here to the Kailal across the street. He's going to leave the world of Torah. So if when it comes to depriving somebody from physical life, you need a Bezdin of 23, certainly expelling him from the life of Torah. You certainly need a, a, a court of 23. The Rosh Hashiva says, I decided he can't be in Yeshiva. Chazanush says, I respect you. A Mishnah is a Mishnah. We need 23 people. We take a vote of the majority. says, expel him, kill him. No problem. We do that. He says, I can't run a Yeshiva like this. If you do that, I can't be here. Chazanush says, bring him back. Let's convene this court. He says, if you're going to do that, I'm leaving. Chazanish says, listen, the same Mishnah says when it comes to monetary issues, you convene a court of three or you can have a yachid mumcha, an individual expert. He says, throwing out the boy from yeshiva is dinei nefashas. It's an issue of spiritual life and death. You leaving yeshiva is a monetary issue. Ich bin a yachid mumcha I'm an individual expert, you could leave. He, he, he resigned and the boy came back. For two weeks, the Chazonish had to give the shear himself because he didn't have anybody. Two weeks later, the man, the Rosh Hashiva, came back and all is well that ends well. And this boy, apparently, in the Litvish world is one of the great rabbinic figures and authorities. The Chazonish understood that expelling a child from yeshiva is an issue of dinei nefoshes. Don't do it with apathy. Don't do it with ignorance. Do it with tremendous sensitivity. Don't throw him out and go eat supper and go to sleep afterwards. Maybe you need a committee involved. Think about the consequences. Where is he going tomorrow? Prepare a future for him. Put yourself into his shoes. Do it with love. Do it with sensitivity. How many of our boys have been thrown out of Yiddishkeit? Because educators and teachers... Just expel them without looking at them, without feeling their pain, without putting them into their shoes. I know personally of a boy, he was looking forward and he went to a yeshiva. I know this story personally because I was called by the family afterwards to try to help. And he worked hard, you know, and he packs all night. You know, a boy the first day of yeshiva is so excited. And one of the staff members there in the yeshiva goes over to the boy and he calls him into the office and he says, I don't like what you look like. You don't fit into this place. And he throws him out. This boy never stepped foot into a yeshiva again. He was so hurt. Now I'm sure that man had good intentions. I'm sure he was trying to uphold the integrity of his yeshiva. And you know what? That person may have a very good self-esteem. And he doesn't know what it means to have a tzibrach and a neshama. This boy happened to have a wounded soul, very sensitive boy. It shattered him to his core. Even if you really feel he doesn't belong to the yeshiva, let him stay a little bit, lift him up, empower him. Tell him, kulam ahuvim, kulam giboyrim, kulam oisim beimobiritzayim What are you going to lose? You're going to lose money, you're going to lose prestige. What are you going to lose if you're going to be warm to a Jewish soul? And what's wrong with hugging our boys and telling them that we respect them and appreciate them and love them? I want to tell you something. There was a boy, <laughs> we could speak for a few years about this. There was a boy, we have to take a break in a moment, but there was a boy, I remember, we had a meeting in our yeshiva and they said this boy is doing nothing, we should throw him out. But I knew if he leaves yeshiva, his future will not be very very productive and very moral. It's, I wanted him there. 
but he really wasn't learning. It was just not for him. So I gave him special attention. I took responsibility for him. He would come into the base medrash. I'm not telling anybody to do this. I'm just telling you a story. He would come into the base medrash. Every day I would go over to him. I would give him a hug. That's what he needed. And I would tell him on myself, at Sadiq, he needed stories. And I remember at the end, you know, people would say, yeah, this is crazy. What are you doing? Which Rosh Hashiva? You don't hug. You don't do this. But this is what I did with my Meshagasin. At the end of the year, I remember we had a meeting and they said, the boy who grew most during the year was that boy. Am I going to tell you that he became Rabban Shalkal Bnei Agoyli, became Rabbi Akiva Eger? No, he didn't. But today he's an Er Lechid, he's a Yerei Shemayim. He has Avas Hashem, he has Avas HaTorah, he has Avas Yisrael. I think these are some important things all of our yeshivas need. We are going to take a break and we will be right back. Shema B'ni. Yitzi Rosinger, beautiful rendition of Shema B'ni Musa Ravicha. We're going to go momentarily to our guest. Oh, a lot of emails are coming in. Let's see what Sipora has to say. What you say, Rabbi Jacobson, makes perfect sense, but nobody who runs yeshivas will ever do what you suggest. Those who run yeshivas are there because they excelled in the old system and are afraid to do anything different. Everyone is terrified to do anything different. How is that going to change? Hmm. Okay, noted and acknowledged, Sipora. Thank you for sharing your ideas. Gedalia writes from Melbourne, Australia. Okay, we have listeners in Australia. Welcome. I studied at Chabad Yeshivas from the ages 18 to 21. One thing that really bothered me was how the yeshiva leaders impose all these rules and restrictions on the students, essentially treating them like little children who cannot be trusted. My sister had similar complaints about her seminary in Israel. Why is it that many yeshiva heads feel the need to create a negative environment by threatening to charge fines and failing to acknowledge that their students are actually legal adults? Mm. Gedalia... I happen to agree with you for the most part. This is a terrible, terrible flaw. Charging fines and monetary penalties, in my mind, is ludicrous. It's absurd. And it's demonstrative of our inadequacy as educators. We cannot inspire our students to come to class because... The classes are going to be stimulating, intellectually challenging, emotionally empowering, life transformative. And therefore, my only way to get you is by charging you a $20 fine if you come late. Ludicrous. Primitive. How does a rabbi become successful in a shul? How does the Chabad Shliach do well in his Chabad house? 
He charges the people if they don't come on Shabbos. No, they say, you know what? I'm not going to miss the rabbi's sermon because he prepares well for his sermon. He is inspiring. They learn something about life. Do that with your students. You prepare your classes well to the point they say, I'm not going li- to, I'm going to, I'm not going to miss my Rosh Hashiva's shir. I'm not going to miss my Mashpia's class. That's how you get him to come. That's how you get her to come. And you know what? When we trust our children, they trust us and they trust themselves. I happen to agree with you, Gedalia. And people who operate on this level are successful not a hundred times more, a thousand times more. Isn't that the story in Parshish Chukas? God tells Moshe, speak to the rock. And Moshe hits the rock. Why? Very simple. Because 40 years ago he hit the rock. You know why? Because 40 years ago he was dealing with slaves. And when you're dealing with slaves who grew up in fear and dictatorship, sometimes the only way they can get your message is if you strike the rock. But 40 years later, you're dealing with a generation that's about to go into the promised land. They grew up in freedom. You don't strike the rock. You have to speak to the rock. And if you can't change, then you don't belong going into the new land. So that's, that's, uh, that's my remark to you. David says, why do we teach children under 10 years old Mishnayis when it specifically says to wait until they are 10 years old? From 5 and 10, we should be learning Chumash and Tanakh and 10 plus Mishnah and 15 then Gemara. Okay, this is a very famous issue. It should be discussed. You have what's today known as the Zilberman Method and Master Torah, Rabbi Pagro, the Maral system, the Shulchan Aruch HaRav, Hilchas Talmud Torah system. Till 10, you saturate them with Tanakh because the mind is conducive for Tanakh. 10 to 15, they're not made yet for Gemara. Let them know the whole Shisha Sidre Mishnah. At 15, start Gemara. And once you know Tanakh and Mishnayas, the Gemara is a different Gemara. You know, when the Gemara quotes a Pasuk from Eov or Yeshaya, how many boys know the Pasuk? And you actually know the Pasuk? It's a whole different experience. Very good point. David, Yosef has an email. He says, what should I do? My student is in a yeshiva and the, print, the teacher is telling him to drink alcohol at different events. I guess Kedushim and it's not good for him well you have to you have to be very this is a very serious issue because uh, many alcoholics develop from these things from Kiddush clubs and from other things what they call Fabrengans you have to be very careful about this uh, in Lubavitch everybody should know that the Lubavitch Rebbe made a Gzeira that anybody under 40 is not allowed to drink even at a Fabrengan more, drink more than three or at most four tiny little cups little I heard this from the Rebbe not once not twice I heard it from him maybe 20, 30 times. He was very upset when anybody under 40 drank. So, so this is a very serious thing, and you should, uh, you should certainly stand up to it, and it has nothing to do with, uh, with uh, Hasidic custom or Hasidic behavior. It's actually, it's actually ridiculous and should be stopped, especially if, I don't know if you're from Chabad or not from Chabad, but in any yeshiva in the world. Certainly in Chabad, they have a gzeri, they have a decree of their Rebbe, who they respect so much that nobody under 40 is allowed to, uh, is allowed to drink. Okay, friends, you can email your questions at rabbiyyyradio at gmail.com or you could call an 845 Three five four two four four four. We have a guest on the line. I want to welcome to the show Rabbi Zalman Leib Markowitz. Rabbi Markowitz, are you here? Yes, I got to know. Oh, Rabbi Markowitz, so let me tell you who our guest is. Why did I ask Rabbi Markowitz? I want to have an educator on the line, but Rabbi Markowitz has a unique advantage. The advantage is he grew up in Williamsburg in Satmer. He comes from an echte satme satme, an authentic satme family. So he got the full impact of a beautiful and glorious satme education. But it didn't stop there. He taught for many years in Vizhnitz. And he taught in Beis David in Muncie, which is a yeshiva for all types of people. Litvish and yeshivish and chassidish and less chassidish. And he was a principal in Chabad yeshivas. And today he's an educational advisor to many, many parents and many, many schools the world over. I know he just came back from Russia. We toured the schools there to try to enhance the system in those schools. So Rabbi Markowitz brings us the flavor of Satmer, the flavor of Vizhnitz, the flavor of Litvish Yeshivish, and the flavor of Lubavitch. Wow, that's great. Welcome Rabbi Markowitz to the show. Thank you very much. Thank you for this uh kind introduction. 
Okay, and you'll hear from his English. His English has elements of Satmer, Vishnitz, based Dovin and Lubavitch. So you'll appreciate you'll appreciate all together. Rabbi Zalman Leib Markowitz, I have a very simple question. Many of our youths are leaving Yiddishkeit. Um, some say 10%, some say 20% of, of every community. And I would say there are those who leave on the open. There are those who don't leave on the open, but inside, they're not part of it anymore. They don't believe it, they don't practice it. You know, it's more of a show. And that's also a very big percent. Why is this happening, in your opinion? So, before I answer that question, I feel uh, I'm obligated, since you mentioned all those places where I'm coming from, uh, I want to say that I deeply respect each one of those places where I grew up and where I taught, and I learned a lot from each community. Each one of them has tremendous a lot to offer, and they give a lot. Uh, also, because I heard your uh, uh, answers to the emails, which I didn't see the emails, I'm only on the phone, but I uh, heard you respond to, to the emails that you mentioned, and I understand there is a lot of frustration out there. At the same time, I think it's important to recognize, give recognition and thanks to our yeshivas and, and their staff who are having a very uh, hard task of raising uh, teenagers of our generation. And for that, they deserve a yashikar. Yeah, let's hear it for all the dedicated teachers Many of them giving blood, sweat, and tears for the success of their students. That's true, and we should always remember that. In terms of your question, yeah. I will, if you allow me, I will make the question even stronger. You are asking why are so many youth uh, living, living Yiddishkeit? How is it, how does it make sense that at the same time we find in today's world, especially in Chabad, but the, the Kirov movement is now in, in many other places also. So many Balachuva. So, so many Balachuva. So many people coming in, and at the same time, so many leaving. It, it almost doesn't make any sense. Right. So it happens to be that uh, you mentioned I was in Russia. So, so just now in Russia, I had an experience of a principal asking me the question, what am I doing wrong? I, I, uh, uh, people, I, I, they grow up in, in my system, and then uh, many of them uh, want to leave. So I asked that person uh, the following question. What happens Friday afternoon, you're going out, you're putting on film for the Jew by the uh, train station. You see a young uh, guy walking out of a safe restaurant, right before Shabbos, going into a car with a non-Jew, with a Goya. On Shabbos Kodesh, he is going, it's right before Shabbos, and he's going to drive off. Here he comes out from a safe restaurant. And he's, he's, and he's not going to a Dafyoy Mishir. And not knowing God, going to a Dafyoy Mishir, and it's on Shabbos Kodesh. I mean, this is right before Shabbos. You grab him. You speak to him, you put on film, and you find out he never... For those who don't know, this life. is the Lubavitch Mephtsoyim campaign, right? Exactly, but it could be any example. Right. Anybody that it will have... You don't have to be a Lubavitcher to... You help a Jew in that low matter, and you get him to do a mitzvah, and especially if you, you know that he has never had a chance in his life to put on film... The simcha by you will be tremendous, right? And that simcha will overflow. The person you put on film for will feel, in addition to the uh, spiritual impact that the film will have on him. Just the feeling that the the person putting on film with him is giving him what a great accomplishment his neshama now uh, accomplished. What he what a great thing he did. That simcha uplifts him. Right. And he goes, whatever, eventually this simcha kicks in and makes an impact which eventually has a permanent change. What happens now when the boy is in yeshiva and he's already made it into yeshiva and now he is part of it, all of a sudden anything he he doesn't do is recognized. Anything he does becomes part of life. That's the way it is. You have to do it. If we would give the over, the simcha, the godless of Yiddishkeit, 
in the big thing that we accomplish by every good thing we do. And if our uh, the, the, those machine and that are given over will give that feeling for every student, for every child, there would probably be a lot less. Um, uh, the the, the simple would hold them into it it would be a lot less falling out. That's just one detail. So you're suggesting that the secular Jew we're empowering, we're celebrating everything he did, even though we know there's a lot of negative things going on. And with our boys, it's the opposite. The good things we take for granted, and any little negative thing, that becomes the issue. Yes, that's what I explained. Let me ask you a question. How do you distinguish between a boy or a girl in yeshiva who's damaged by trauma... Or a boy or a girl who just have a good old Yetzirah that's making them lazy, uninterested. How do you distinguish between Yetzirah and serious trauma? How do I know when to tell my boy, I don't care what you say, we're doing it anyway. Or you say, you know what, there's a serious problem here. I'm not going to force him in any way because he can't. It's not that he doesn't want to. How do you know this distinction? I'm not sure if you're referring to the, the question that you're asking. Uh, the way you're asking the question, I mean, it's obvious to, to everyone. If somebody is damaged by drama, is any, any boy that will eat well and sleeps well and plays well with friends and is uh, emotionally healthy and is excited is not damaged by drama. Mm-hmm. Uh, a more difficult question could be how do you differentiate whether it's a Yetzirah or it's ADD, which could be a not trauma in, involved, but yet uh, something that the student is really struggling with, not just the Yetzirah, it has an issue. Trauma is something which somebody who cannot detect tra- trauma, uh, unless it's very fine, but uh, uh, somebody, I, I, I would expect that a teacher should be tuned in enough to be able to detect if a child is in... But what's the answer to your question? Distinguishing between ADD and, say, you know, laziness or or lack of interest or... That's a very hard question, and that's not easy to distinguish, but the point that I want to make is that we are responsible to look out for it. We cannot... I know from many cases of uh, students, and this is uh, a long time ago, who the rabbis were very hard on them, thinking that they just have a Yetzirah, and it turned out that they really were not able. And that is a very serious thing. And therefore I say that, it go, to me, it goes the opposite. That until you, are not, you did not determine that this child can do it, and it's only a Yetzirah, you have to deal with it as if, He's not able to, and you have to try to work on it. That's the answer. Right. In other words, it's, right. It's I got it. Like, I see. give him the benefit of the doubt. And it's not only giving him the benefit of the doubt; it's the teacher's responsibility to um, see how we can help the kid. Friends, I'm speaking to Rabbi Zalman Leib Markowitz, a renowned mechanic and educator. You could call him with your questions, 845-354-2444, or email rabbiyyradio at gmail.com, rabbiyyradio at gmail.com. Rabbi Zalman Leib, another question. What would you say, and I know this is a tough one, what's missing, some of our yeshivas are exceptional. What is missing most in our yeshivas? So, some of the things you said in, uh, before I came on, and I heard you say, uh, actually, I was very um, pleased with what I heard. Uh, let me just give you very briefly a, um, a Agdoma here. Most of our yeshivas, regardless, Litvish yeshivas, the Hasidish yeshivas uh, from Dungarish uh, background or Chabad yeshivas, they're all based on the foundation of the background where they're coming from. In other words, in the old shtetl in Europe or whatever, where they were, the yeshivas were established, and with a certain philosophy, with a certain ashkofa, a certain message that they want to give, regardless whether it's the Litvish message or the Hasidic message, whatever it is, but they wanted to implement a, a, a certain message. And in order to do this, they established a yeshiva with a certain seder, uh, a certain seder alimad, a certain seder ayayim. There are rules that were created, uh, there, uh, there are certain phrases used, 
but all those were created in a culture of the, those days, in a certain lifestyle, in a certain mindset. Uh, in other words, our the same uh, yeshiva, the, the message that they wanted to give in those in that situation, in order to give the message, they needed those the context of those rules for that type of people. That was the way to give that message across. Bringing it over to to America, uh, to where we are today, which not only we are in a different culture and a different lifestyle, but in one yeshiva, you have a diverse uh, culture and a diverse lifestyle because every in in one community there is a lot of in every community there is a lot of diversity today, even though we all live in the same place. So the message that you are giving with the old method is just not coming across. Uh, I want to emphasize here a very important thing, especially because of what I heard said before. There is a, a fine line here. Some people, because they are resentful to the yeshivas and to the outcome that's happening, they feel that things changed and we'd have to give a different message. That is absolutely not, uh, uh, shouldn't be said. As I said, goes on this too. There is a message, there is a shkofa, there is a philosophy. We want to give it, we can give it. But the language used, everybody understands that when you have a people, English-speaking people, you speak to them in English, in Hebrew-speaking people, you speak to them in Hebrew. If you bring, talk, and the same, the same is said about language, and the same is said about all other uh, things that, that we do in order to transmit a message. And since we transmitted with the old rules and with the old Seder, it's just impossible. In fact, in my opinion, those uh, students that do make it is only because they are strong enough to overcome and to translate the message which is given in a different language, they translate it in their own language. Give, one, give one example, Rabbi Markowitz, of giving the same message in the old way and changing it in the new way that would be more effective. Give one example. Wait a minute. First, uh, it, 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 I want to back it up. It, it happens to be a Geras Hachuba for those who learn Tani every day. We are now in a Geras Hachuba. The Alter Rebbe comes and says, on Ainyan that Arizal established, on on certain things, and the Alter Rebbe says clear, and he brings it from Chazal uh, 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 still, that it's not Shaykh today. We can't uh, fast. We should substitute it with charity, with tzedakah. Substitute with charity. Uh, that's that's that, that's that's So, what's uh, your application in, here? The application here is that it, it's very possible that a certain. I'll give you an, I'll give you a very uh, uh, bottom line example. Okay. I'm not familiar with Ger, but what I hear is that the Ger Rebbe today changed the entire Seder limit of his issues in a completely different way of learning. Um, they're from learning. Even he made a lot of learning. I don't even know the details of it. I, yes, I, yes. I, I, I found it very interesting to hear because he realized that that, uh, it, that doesn't mean that the philosophy of Ger and the Ashkofa of Ger changes. I'm sure he didn't. In Ger with their Shittas, with their Hasidus is there. But he realized that the Yeshiva system, they cannot handle it this way. So therefore, you're, I'm giving you one practical example, but I don't want to translate it into our situation because I believe that in, even in Litvish yeshivas and even in Chabad yeshivas, it's not for all Litvish the same and it's not for all Chabad the same and it's not for all Ungarish the same. Every Rosh Yeshiva has to uh, sense in his yeshiva what would work and possibly figure out a way that it may even be, even in his yeshiva, it will not work for everyone the same way. Right. So therefore, uh, uh, the, the things that uh, you said uh, uh, before about knossin and fines, this is, uh, to me, this is not, uh, I'm not even discussing that. That's not to me a discussion. Right. Um, uh, but I'm talking even about things that are learning and, and davening, uh, say that I learned the hours, that it has to be translated in a way that we can... Uh, in order for us to get a message. And in fact, I want to say that any anyone uh, that may think and be choshed that it's an attitude of being modern and modernizing, I say just the opposite. 
in order to be able to transmit the old uh, outer shtetl message, those with the rabbeim am gevot, you have to give it over in the language they understand. I just want to tell you an experience that I had last week. And it was Shabbos Kimon Thomas, and I had the opportunity to sit with a group of Russian people together, and the one leading the Fabrenga was uh, speaking in Russian. So I was sitting there, I happened to fall in there, and for a few hours, Fabrenga in, 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 uh, in the Russian language, I pushed it, it was Yisurim to sit there. Right. And, and I realized that Balachuva, they come in, they come in, Lamaila, they come in with, with a, a, a completely selfless, and they don't care if they understand or not, they just want to sit there. Mm. But for someone like me, I was totally, I couldn't sit there. Uh, I, I, it's very special to sit with other Jews, but how long so can I sit? So you're saying a student sits in a class and he doesn't understand a word for years? It loved after in the, loved after in the, in the actual language. Language, but the concepts. But in the whole, in the whole, um, the concepts. Uh, uh, it's, uh, style. That's of, very uh, true. It's very true. I have found. It goes on for years and for years. It's yeah, happening for years. It doesn't speak, it, it, it doesn't speak to them at all. They come out 10 years of yeshiva and you say, what's God? And, and they have, they're clueless. What's Judaism? They're clueless. Why do and we learn the Torah? They're answer. clueless. That's the real answer why they're leaving Yiddish guy. That's the real answer. I just before wanted to give on a positive note uh, right. to say uh, the simcha that we you can You say the real that. answer is they come out of 10 years of education and they're clueless about the fundamentals of Judaism. Because they didn't get it. They didn't get they didn't. it. I would, I would also say something, and tell me if you agree with me. So many boys have a lot of questions. You know, they're very, they're, they're growing up, they're growing up fast, they're mature, they're deep, and very often they have nobody who to ask about creation, evolution, science, physics, God's existence, Holocaust, theodicy, Israel, corruption, molestation, Matan Torah. They have real questions. Tragedy, loss, problems, psychological issues. Why does God do this? Who needs God? And they sometimes have nobody to speak to about it. They're I afraid. May, I may have a different answer on this than you. Okay. Uh, my feeling is that if there is a foundation of um, happiness, of satisfaction. Um, a, a child grows up in a comfort zone, in a yeshiva is for him a comfort zone. I, I, I want to tell you one thing, as when I took over a job as a principal, I was for many, many years as, as a, t- a teacher. When I first took the job as a principal, which I did not want to take, which is a discussion for itself, people... Um, uh, I was very pleased to uh, be with the students involved directly and learning with them and teaching with them and bringing them. But when I took over their job, I gathered the community where I was around me and I said that um, in, my, uh, uh, in my school, my goal is three things that I want to accomplish and with this, say the, the way I set it up. The first thing is that everyone that walks into the building of my school, our school, anybody that walks in should be happy. That's my first goal. Second goal is and the third goal is the academics. Mm. If somebody raised their hand and asked me, hey, Rabbi, the last time I checked, the school is for academics. Why is that number three? And in, in especially if you say number one, where is happiness coming in the first? Right. And the answer is very simple. In the minds of our students and our children, the walls of the yeshiva represent God to them. This is their ebishter. If it is a happy place where you want to walk in, it's a comfortable place. It doesn't matter why it's happy. doesn't matter why it's a comfort zone. But it's a fine place where you want to be. The rest will go smooth. Mm. I say in regards to this also, you don't need a base. Uh, the foundation doesn't have to be to be able to ask questions. The foundation has to be that a child feels that this is a good place to be in. And once you are in this place and you're happy to be in this place, then comes in the questions and then he, then it's, and then the question is intellectually based and then he's looking for an answer. In, if the first foundation is not there, 
then the question may not be intellectually based. It may so that's fascinating. Because- In other words, the yeshiva, the teachers, they represent God. So if the yeshiva is a happy place, a place where he feels comfortable, God brings up good feelings for him. So he's not emotionally traumatized by Judaism, and then he can ask intellectual questions. What so often I, happens, I, you're I, saying, I, is... Jacob, I'm sorry yeah. for interrupting. I, I want to tell you why I emphasize this so much. We have 30 seconds, the, so say it, it in 10. One of the things that everybody is screaming, we need to Kabbalah soil, Kabbalah soil, not asking questions. We can give the, if we give them that foundation, they will be happy with Kabbalah soil. Mm. And after that, the questions can be asked and can be answered. And, and there's no excuse. That foundation is a must. And this is my last word that I want to say. We have to make our yeshivas in schools and homes to be a happy place. Thank you very much. Thank you. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.